morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here. It's a beautiful day. We're glad to have the opportunity to be together. We pray that our service today will glorify God and encourage all of us who are his people. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139. Psalm 139 would be one of the pinnacle psalms. And what really stands out to me about this psalm is that it is extremely encouraging to know that we serve a God who knows us and who is always with us. So as we think about Psalm 139, I want to talk for a minute or two today about the unequaled greatness of God. How would you compare God? Bottom line is there's no way to compare him to anything that we have ever seen or heard. And so in Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about the greatness of God. And there's some things that are said about God that ought to bring us great encouragement. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the omniscience of the Lord. And when I talk about omniscience, I simply mean all-knowing. We serve a God who is all-knowing, who knows everything. So I want you to listen, if you would, to David as he describes the attributes of the Lord. In verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Let me just say that when you look at this great psalm, it's evident that God knows our walk in life. He is very familiar with our ways in life. And yes, he knows our words in life. So you ask the question, how could that encourage me? I think in a number of ways. Because you see, I think about in life, there are any number of joys that we experience. And sometimes those joys are offset by frustrations. There are successes in life, and yes, there are failures. So when you look at Psalm 139 and you think, here is a God who knows me intimately. He knows everything about me. He knows what I face in life. He understands my struggles, my trials. And so think for a minute or two about how life, how life oftentimes brings triumphs our way. A good example of this would be Elijah the prophet. You remember back in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And the Bible tells us that Elijah on that occasion underscored the greatness, the superiority of the God of heaven. So you think about this great victory on Mount Carmel. And then you make the transition into chapter 19 and what do you find? On the heels of his triumph, trial. The Bible tells us that King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, sent word to him and said, in effect, look, just as 
Those prophets of Baal were put to death. Let me tell you what, you're next. And the Bible tells us that Elijah ran for his life, became despondent, discouraged, in despair, came to the conclusion that he and he alone was serving God. God had to remind him that he still had 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. So you think about how in life, sometimes life goes in cycles, doesn't it? You have triumph, and then you have trial. And then I think about trepidation. Elijah had triumphed on Mount Carmel, and then trial faces him when... Jezebel sends word to him that he's about to die, and so he becomes somewhat reluctant, fearful, anxious, as you can well understand. And so he becomes discouraged and despondent in life. Are there not times of great triumph, victory, conquest? And then what about trials in life? Are we not besieged with any number of trials? Yes. Do you remember the words of Job? Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Sometimes those troubles and trials bring a sense of trepidation. And then our tears. The psalmist is saying, look, you need to understand something about God. God knows exactly where you are in life. He knows when you are triumphant. He's well acquainted with your trials, your tribulations, your troubles. He understands your trepidation. He gets it when you're tearful in life. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalm 56 talked about how God put his tears in his bottle. That precious to him. So God understands our tears. He knows about our fears. And yes, he's mindful of our temptations. The fact that we are at war against the devil and the devil is coming at us from every angle, doing his best to destroy us and circumvent our faith in God. So the psalmist is simply saying, look, you need to understand you are serving a God that knows everything about you. He knows what's going on in the world. He knows what your plight is. He understands your good times, your bad times, your joys, your frustrations, your successes, your failures, he's there with you, isn't he? Now listen, if you would, to David as he describes his awe for God. In light of the fact that here's a God that knows when I sit down, when I rise up, he knows my thoughts, he knows what I'm thinking, what I'm about to say, what I do say. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He said, it's high, I cannot attain it. And the idea here is that it's difficult for us to capture the knowledge of God, the fact that he knows everything. I mean, how would you describe a God that is able to process everything? Think, think about life and how we live on a planet with some 7 billion people. And yet God knows everything going on about 
Every single person. Can you fathom that? The psalmist is simply saying, look, this kind of knowledge, this kind of being, I can't verbalize his greatness. It's extraordinary. It's immeasurable. Do you remember Paul in Romans chapter 11? When he said, oh, the depth of the wisdom of the riches of the knowledge of God. You think about the knowledge of God. Here's a being that knows everything. He knows every single thought. God's able to process everything because he's God. And so, David here is simply reminding people of every generation, look, you serve a God who is omniscient. He knows everything. That's what makes him God. Now there's a second thing. Not only does he speak of the omniscience of God, but the omnipresence of God. And the idea here is that God is ever-present. Imagine a God that is everywhere. Can you fathom that? God is present on the East Coast. He's present on the West Coast. Present in the North, the South. I mean, wherever you want to go, God is there, isn't he? So listen, if you would, to what David says about this omnipresent God. What he's going to say first and foremost is God is with us in the physical realm. That is in life. So listen to him. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is this, nowhere. I mean, you can't go anywhere without being in the presence of Almighty God. And so he said, if I ascend into heaven, he said, you're there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, he said, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, he said, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Let me just pause here for a minute. First, he's saying distance cannot separate us from God. No matter where you go, no matter, no matter how far removed you may think you are, God is always at your side. He's always there. The psalmist talks about as far as the east coast is from the west or as far as the east is from the west. When you think about traveling the span of the globe. Think about those who have rocketed into outer space. And David is saying, let me tell you what, no matter where you go, he said, God is there. So he's saying distance can't separate us from God. Darkness can't separate us from God. Look, if you would, at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now think about this for a minute. Many times crimes are committed under the cloak of darkness, aren't they? Why? Because people don't want to be seen. And there are times in life when people think that because they're doing something behind closed doors, 
engulfed in darkness, nobody knows about it. But what God is saying is, look, darkness is like the light to me. I can see you just as well in the darkness as, as I can in the sunlight. So nothing separates us from this almighty God who is with us in the physical realm. I love what the psalmist says in verse 9 when he talks about taking the wings of the morning and dwelling in the uttermost parts of the sea. How many folks have sought to go to the most remote place on planet Earth in an effort to escape the hustle, the bustle of life, to get away from people, to be alone? And yet what God is saying is, look, I don't care how far you go, I'm right there with you. And then... Not only is God with us in the physical realm, but David says he's with us in the metaphysical realm. That is, when you step outside this veil of existence, you need to understand, you're not going to be separated from God then. So, step back and contemplate the fact. Distance can't separate you from God. Darkness can't separate you from God. Death can't separate you from God. So, in Psalm 23, David, the writer of this psalm, said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he said, You're with me. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he talked about his life of service for Christ? He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ. But he said, To die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about being absent from the body but present with the Lord. In other words, we're in the face of deity. We're before the face of God. Sometimes people fear death and they fear the grave. And what, what David is saying is, look, if you ascend into heaven, he said, God's there. If you make your bed in the grave, he said, look, God is there. In other words, you can't escape the presence of God, can you? So we serve a God who knows everything. He is all-knowing. Look, God knows everything. The Bible says the very hairs of your head are numbered. So here's a God who is that detail-oriented, that he knows you inside out. And here is a God who is always with you. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in the long ago? Speaking to those of us who belong to the family of God, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you think about a God who's not going to walk away from you. Tough times, good times, bad times, doesn't matter. The Hebrew writer is saying, look, you need to understand God is always with you. That's the God we serve. So when you face those joys and frustrations in life. When you are triumphant on the one hand and then you're brought down by the trials and tribulations and troubles of life, you need to understand the Lord is there. He won't abandon you. I love what God said to Joshua in the long ago when Joshua assumed the role of leader, the role of leadership among the children of Israel. God said, I will be with you wherever you go. That's what God says to us, isn't it? I will be with you wherever you go. 
thick and thin. Come what may, I'm right there with you. Now there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about the omniscience of the Lord, the omnipresence of the Lord, and then the omnipotence of the Lord. So God is all-knowing, He is ever-present, and He is all-powerful. We serve a God that is in control, isn't He? He has power. Power demonstrated in creation. So listen to what he says. Drop down and look at verse 13. What David's going to say is, God is the giver of life. Not only is God the giver of life, but he is the governor of life. The psalmist said in Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns. God is in absolute control. He hasn't relinquished his control. He hasn't walked away from planet Earth. He's not a being that is not concerned about our plight here on planet Earth, but very involved, attentive to everything going on. So in verse 13, he said, You have formed my inward parts. You've covered me in my mother's womb. In verse 14, he said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Who created man? God did. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he preached that great sermon on Mars Hill? And he said, God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. The Bible tells us that we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. We have been made, as Moses said, from the dust of the earth. But God has housed within our physical body an immortal soul. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, that God is the father of our spirit. So that means when we die, the body returns to the dust from which it was taken, but the soul returns to God. So God is the one who is our creator. And the psalmist here talks about the wonders of God's creation. You ever thought about the complexity of the human body? I mean, look at, look at our anatomy. Unequaled. I mean, there are folks today that have lost limbs and they wear prosthetics. And as good as those prosthetics are, they don't come close to what God made, do they? Remember years ago, I knew a brother that lost his shoulder and arm to Agent Orange in Vietnam. And he said the government provided him with a prosthetic arm. He wore it just a little while and then laid it to the side. He said, it's too heavy. I'd just as soon go without it. And what, I think what that says to me is you just can't duplicate what God created, can you? The human brain. I mean, this amazing this amazing computer 
It's able to process information and to do it so quickly and efficiently. Is there anything comparable to the human brain? Our eyes. The blessings of vision. The ability to hear, to speak. I mean, look at the human body. No wonder David said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been made in the image and the likeness of God. And yes, this physical body is a tremendous specimen. But housed within that physical body is an eternal spirit that will live forever. And so, the writer here simply talks about the fact that God is the giver of life. He's the governor of life. And I would remind us that really one of the great messages in Psalm 139 is this. That God is our creator. And he is actively involved in the affairs of the human family. There are some that have the idea God created the world and then just walked away. Let me tell you what, that's not the God that I read about in Psalm 139. I read about a God who is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. So, in light of his power in creation, David said he'll praise him for his creation. Look at verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. The word precious here means prized, valuable. And really what he's saying is, when I think about what, what you have done, for me as a human being, I stand back in awe, in praise of you. Listen again to what he said. Verse 14, I will praise you. Why? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So down in verse 17, he said, look, when I step back and think about your great provisions, your care, your constant care on a daily basis, invaluable. I prize that. It's precious to me. He said, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Let me close by asking this question. Is there something that you possess that from a monetary standpoint, it's not for sale? Is there anything like that to you? I would imagine that there are, there are some things that, that you've had for a long time. Maybe a precious heirloom. Maybe something that a grandparent, a great-grandparent, maybe a parent owned and treasured. And that was passed down to you. Now somebody... If somebody were to approach you and say, how much would you take for that? You'd say, you need to understand it's not for sale. Tommy's here today. Tommy Ray. He's got a 1939 car, if I remember correctly. He bought that car probably 30 years ago. I remember what it looked like before he transformed it into what it looks like today and it is a piece of art 
And Tommy will tell you that that car is special to him. And he said somebody came into his shop one day and if I recall correctly laid out $37,000 on the counter. He said I want that car. And here's what Tommy said. It's not for sale. What the psalmist is saying here is this. When I think about God and all that he is and all that he has done for me and all that he continues to do for me, I can't put a price tag on it. I value it that much. That's the God we serve. Aren't you grateful to serve a God who loves and cares for each of us? There's a passage of scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 7 that I find a lot of encouragement in. And I think it reflects a lot about the character of God and the God that we serve. Because I understand that when we face life, and if you look at the life of David, you'll see a guy that on many, many occasions he was up on the mountaintop and then there were times when he, when he was way down in the valley. Life can be so tough and unrelenting. But to know that there is a God who's always there, who knows our struggles, knows what we're going through, who has our best interest at heart. And so here's what Peter said. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. That's the God we serve. And that's the God that David talked about many, many years ago. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I can't tell you how blessed you'll be to become a child of God, but I, I know this. Every spiritual blessing resides in Christ, and if you'll become a child of God, you can have those blessings. What would you need to do? Well, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Put your faith and trust in Jesus who came, lived, and died for you. Walk away from sin. Peter said on Pentecost Day, repent. And then he said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. And all those spiritual blessings that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1-3, they will be yours. If you'll live faithfully until death and you think about the struggles and the trials that we face in life, Sometimes as a child of God, we get beaten down and sadly we give up. But I think what the Bible says is, look, you can make it. You can make it. So maybe you need to come home and ask for the prayers of the church. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you today. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.